listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Today, we're going to dig into what Brookfield Asset Management's decision to spin out its asset manager means for the company, investors, and valuation. I'm Camilla Sutton, Head of Canadian Equity Research, and I'm joined by two of my colleagues here at BMO Capital Markets, Saurabh Movahidi and HN Ricard. Saurabh and HN, I'm pleased to welcome you both back to Intune. Some of today's discussion will center on your recent report titled Spin Mechanics, which looks at the details of Brookfield spinning out a 25% interest in its asset management platform. Can you walk us through this and how it could impact investors and shareholders? Camilla, it's Sora. Thank you very much for hosting us. And it's great to be with the Intune podcast again. You know, the note you referenced that we published on the 20th of October uh, looked at the mechanics of spin out in a pure play alternative asset manager. But I think it's probably worth taking a short walk down memory lane as context for why this is probably a natural next step in Brookfield's evolution. You know, when Etienne and I launched on this name back in 2018, we highlighted that Brookfield can best be described as an investor owner and operator. It is actually an investor owner operator of uh, long life real assets uh, for the most part to be a bit more specific. So an investor in BAM shares today or Brookfield Asset Management shares today or BAMA on the Toronto Stock Exchange is buying a share in a capital allocator, but also a low cost operator and an owner, arguably in some of the best global infrastructure and real assets around. These assets tend to have stable and contracted cash flows. The owner has experience in enhancing value through improved operations, not just kind of financial engineering or leverage that is commonly the case for diversified private equity operations. And the investor here has a proven track record of generating attractive returns on the investment. So much so that over time, Brookfield really has evolved to not only being an investor owner operator, but also being an asset manager. On the one hand, Brookfield over time has constructed a portfolio of cash generating real assets. And on the other hand, large long-term investors, here I'm thinking the likes of sovereign wealth funds and pension funds, have increasingly tilted more of their asset allocation uh, towards some of these cash flow yielding real assets as uh, fixed income alternatives. You know, this confluence of events prolonged by the persistent kind of low rate environment had tended to increase allocations to alternative assets. And Brookfield is one of the prominent global players in the space of alternative asset management. So it's benefited through its asset management capabilities. The fee bearing capital here, this is basically the third party money raised and managed by Brookfield for investments in real estate infrastructure, renewable energy sources, as well as other industries, has consequently grown double digits, basically over the last handful of years. So this is all good news, but since this growing alternative asset management franchise is within a bigger organization, 
that is also the uh, call it the investor owner operator the true value of the asset manager is arguably underappreciated so the solution management team at Brookfield has come up with really the next step in the evolution if you will is to provide a pure play alternative asset management option to investors by spinning out a 25% interest in its uh, asset management business. So this is a bit of a long answer, but ultimately a pure play asset manager would present an easier comp to some of the US alternative asset managers that here we cover at BMO Research as well, Rufus Hone and James Fotheringham. Those tend to be afforded higher valuation multiples, And here we're talking about market implied, not so much what the target kind of valuation multiples are. And to the extent you have more like-for-like comparability between the pure play asset manager presented by the spin-out at Brookfield and the other U.S. alternatives, you should get incremental funds really flowing towards the name because, number one, it's a comp. Number two, it's probably a more attractively valued comp. A higher valuation multiple would obviously not only be welcomed by uh, BAM shareholders, but it would also give the company currency for growth. You know, specifically here, I'm thinking maybe through acquisitions in some areas of wealth and asset management and geographies, for example, where they may not be sufficiently well represented. So maybe a bit of a long-winded answer, but hopefully that kind of gives a bit of a context as to what's the benefit to shareholders of spinning out a 25% interest. No, that was excellent, Saurabh. Thank you. So post-spin, can you speak a little bit to which assets then will be in BAM, which assets will be in BN, and then what will be the drivers of both? So if you believe everything I just <laughs> said, if you are a, I mean, if you, if you stand back for a second, value drivers in any asset manager, whether it's a traditional asset manager or an alternative, which Brookfield Asset Management would be. You know, the drivers of value there are your ability to have more inflows relative to outflows, so net positive inflows, um, as well as maintaining your margins and fee rates here, and uh, being able to reinvest the capital for the same sort of returns. So in the context of the net inflows, when we think about Brookfield Asset Management as a pure play, fee-bearing capital probably ends up being the lifeblood. If they're able to continue to grow the dollar value of assets allocated to them by third parties, again, remember, these would be the pension funds, the sovereign wealth funds, but maybe increasingly some high net worth and family, larger family offices as well. That would be a value driver for the pure play asset manager. Obviously, the second value driver there would be for the capital or the fundraising to be not at discounted rates. So we would want the pure play asset manager to be able to retain the fee rates. This company has done a really good job of maintaining rates, not competing on price, if you will. And if you remember, I, I had mentioned that they are a bit of a low-cost producer, so they also tend to benefit from a bit of superior margin relative to their brethren, the U.S. alternatives. So we want fee-bearing capital to be growing. We want them to be maintaining fee rates, and we want them to be able to retain their gross margins. But that's not going to be enough because they'll have to be able to deliver returns. And the returns are ultimately what will kind of feed returning customers, if you will, as the pure play asset manager is concerned. So deliver returns, 
earned performance fees or carried interest and you know think of it as a repeat. Raise funds, <laughs> maintain your margins, get your gross margins, make the investments, get the returns and repeat. That would be the process for the pure play. Now, the corporation or BN stock, as we kind of refer to it, it will be deriving its value actually from relatively transparent uh, sources. So in the first instance, it is a publicly traded entity that has 75% ownership in the pure play. So if there is a mark on the value of the asset manager, then you have a sense of the ownership value of BN in that asset manager. Secondly, BN will also have investments in other publicly traded affiliates like Brookfield Infrastructure Partners or Brookfield Business Partners or Brookfield Renewable. And arguably, there shouldn't be any debate as to what the value of those are because, like I said, they're publicly traded and you presumably can get the values from your uh, Bloomberg screens. Uh, What's left then is a portfolio of real estate assets which we include in our sum of the parts valuation of BN at about a 25% discount to what their accounting value or IFRS value would be. You know, here think of assets like Canary Wharf and the like that are not really easily replicable, but at any given point in time, given the then prevailing kind of interest rate environment, the values could be up or down, but all the same, it's a privately held portfolio of assets, real estate assets. And then the next biggest driver here would be any accumulated performance fees associated with investments Brookfield has made over the years, but has not yet fully realized on. You know, loosely, let's call this carried interest. Um, Obviously, the value of the carry will be dependent on uh, really two things, the vintage year of the investment. So if you've made a lot of investments in years where valuations were depressed, really regardless of which sector. That's a good thing because you have the likelihood of a re-rating on that. But it also depends on the receptivity and availability, usually of public markets, to be able to realize on that. So Brookfield has a good track record of uh, making big investments, really coming out of the global financial crisis. So think about it 12 years ago or so. And so on the one hand, you have good vintages here from a valuation perspective. But on the other hand, we're now faced with a bit of more tumultuous capital market environment, which will pass, but that probably means that some of these performance fees in the carried interest will be realized, but not until a bit further out, if you will, on the timeline. So from a BN investor, you will be able to have the option value, if you will, on the properties and the carried interest, which don't have really public marks, but also ownership stake in the publicly traded affiliates, plus the ownership, uh, 75% ownership in uh, the newly generated BAM pure play. Now, the other thing you end up with in BN, I would think of it as a bit of an incubator for strategies, for example, reinsurance strategies and the like that might be future vectors of growth that may end up managing third-party money as well. But for the time being, think of it as an incubator of kind of for potential future growth initiatives that are not yet fit for prime time as far as the public markets are concerned. That was a bit of a mouthful. I'm going to see if Etienne, who's also on the line, if there's anything else, Etienne, you think is worth adding or best way to summarize that mouthful that I just offered up here. Thank you, Sorab. The uh, the additional comment I would make is 
Given carried interest on funds raised to date will be allocated to BN shareholders. This actually means that over the short to medium term, almost all of cash flows, or if you will, earnings at new BAM will be fee-related earnings. Now, to put numbers to what Sorab just said, we believe BN, according to our valuation framework, should be worth approximately $80 billion or approximately $51 per BN share. Now, if you look at the new BAM entity, we ascribe a $40 billion value or $26 per BAM share. Thank you both for that. You summed it up very well. Let's switch course a little bit here and discuss alternative asset management in a higher rate environment. So what do you see as the impact of higher rates on alternative strategy fundraising activities? I mean, this probably ends up being the $64,000 question, right? Because uh, alternative assets, there's room for them, presumably in every portfolio, but they've kind of had extra tailwind when yield alternatives were non-existent when rates were zero. But today, you know, given where the 10-year in the Canada or US is, you know, investors can probably get close to 4% on cash, which will have implications for the discounting that you would have thought investors would do with respect to cash flows generated from alternatives, which I don't want to say they're risky, but certainly would have higher risk associated with them relative to, let's say, uh, government bonds. So... What we did is when we put out that October 20th note, we also adjusted our target value for BAM A or the existing BAM franchise, if you will, by reflecting the higher discount rate, if you will, associated with the cash flows that are being generated on the one hand at BAM. But on the other hand, we haven't adjusted any of the third-party fee-bearing capital we see coming in based on targets that BAM management has kind of communicated as recently as their investor day in September of this year. So they would have some visibility into the types of fundraising they're doing for the different strategies, whether it's real estate or renewable energy and the like. And you know their indications would be that fundraising continues to persist, momentum continues to be intact, and we would not have any better visibility than they would. But you know I think it's only fair for investors to wonder, not so much this round of fundraising, but future rounds of fundraising, maybe a couple of years down the road, you know, what would be the then prevailing rate environment and what implications that would have on the demand for these types of alternative assets that uh, companies like Brookfield Asset Management offer. So I would say, you know, probably a long way of saying, I think optimistic, but also a bit cautious, depending on how high the rates end up going. So is there a correlation between BAM's valuation and bond yields. I mean, Etienne, you did this uh, excellent work. Why don't we, do you want to talk about that? Sure. So um, since mid-2021, rightly or wrongly, the correlation between BAM's asset management platform and U.S. 10-year treasury yields has been a negative 0.9. Now, the stock has experienced a significant derating over this period, currently trading at approximately six times asset management earnings, down from a peak of 15 times in mid-2021. 
Now, uh, again, rightly or wrongly, we have seen a very strong negative correlation between those two drivers. So we have, we have effectively seen a very strong negative correlation between U.S. bond yields and BAM's valuation. BMO Economics forecast the 10-year Treasury yield to ease moderately heading into next year. So to the extent this correlation remains in the future, we think BAM's valuation should at least stop compressing to the extent bond yields plateau from here. I mean, Camilla, it's, I guess the only other thing I would add, and I think maybe it's not even additive, but just to reiterate what Etienne just said, that, uh, you know, they're above a certain level, certainly in a rising rate environment, one that we've experienced in the past, call it six to 12 months, there seems to be fairly strong relationship between how investors are valuing the cash flows from an alternative asset management franchise. And this derating that Etienne is talking about would not be specific or unique to uh, Brookfield Asset Management. This would be a bit of a phenomena uh, across all of the U.S. alternative asset managers, even the ones that Rufus and James cover. So this would be you know, you know, a dynamic, not too dissimilar from what you're seeing with bond economics, I suppose, in, insofar as when rates kind of move up, alternatives yield plays start kind of carving out a bit of space in investors' uh, portfolios, and some things may become a bit of a source of funds. This would be transitory, though, you would, you would imagine, right? So I think at some stage, the bond yields, whether it's the 10-year plateauing here or maybe coming down, or if not here, you know, a couple of quarters from now coming down, you know, you would expect we will figure out the the new gearing ratio for different kind of yield alternatives between dividend yields and bond yields and alternative asset kind of yields. And presumably there will continue to be demand for this product. You know, less clear to us is how robust that would be. And what the next step in the evolution, if if you want, of uh, Brookfield's uh, complex of businesses would entail. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for clearing that up. So you mentioned earlier, a few minutes ago, about reinsurance. So looking into medium to long-term growth prospects, you know, Brookfield had flagged reinsurance as an opportunity set in the hundreds of billions of dollars AUM potential. So in this regard, Brookfield spun out Brookfield Reinsurance back in 2021. What growth opportunities does Brookfield see in reinsurance and how has BAMR scaled its capital over the last couple of years? I will get Etienne to talk about the specifics of how BAMR has scaled its capital and, and the like. But just to give a bit of a context, included in the capabilities that Brookfield has uh, would be Oak Tree. This is a credit investment manager, a name brand one. And what Brookfield knows they can do well by themselves and including Oak Tree is make good credit investments for specific yield. Purpose of commingling this with kind of reinsurance is to get yourself kind of long dated liabilities. You know, in the context of a bank, we would think of these as deposits here. 
you have an alternative asset manager has funding that comes from pension funds and the like, but also has committed long duration, if you will, type funding coming from insurance space. And to the extent they're able to satisfy the insurance liability payments by not taking additional risk, and this would be obviously regulated business insurance and reinsurance. So what they're really doing is they're trying to put their credit investment prowess in particular to work to generate returns that would be above and beyond those required to satisfy the insurance liabilities without taking undue risk or risk outside of the regulatory kind of parameters and generating a return probably in the mid-teens return on equity, if you will, from a BAM shareholder perspective. So this has actually quite a bit of potential, but you know, Etienne will talk a little bit about how they've come about so far, how they've come about it and how big they are and where it can get to. Thank you, Saurabh. Brookfield Reinsurance legacy is in pension risk transfer. And I'll fast forward a couple of years later, BAMR manages in excess of $40 billion in capital. This growth has really come from first a partnership with American Equity Life, in which Brookfield has acquired an approximately 20% stake and acquired annuity blocks from the company. And then mid-2021, Brookfield announced the acquisition of American National, which just recently closed. And a key advantage of this transaction was to provide a chassis uh, for expansion into the United States. And American National essentially acts as a distribution platform for Brookfield Reinsurance. As uh, Asura mentioned, the economics for Brookfield Reinsurance are essentially 150 basis points net interest margin target, approximately 10% equity as part of the funding structure, and as a result, a targeted 15% plus return on equity. As Asura mentioned, the credit investing capabilities acquired with Oaktree have the potential to drive better returns in the sense Brookfield can now invest in fixed income assets that drive higher returns relative to treasury yields. Now, over the next few years, as, as Brookfield reinsurance gains scale, it is highly possible that BAMR will look at decoupling itself from BAM as it gains further scale. Saurabh, Nei Chen. Thank you both for joining us today. We certainly covered a lot of ground on the spin-out mechanics at Brookfield Asset Management and a few other areas. That was Saurabh Movahidi and H.N. Ricard, two of BMO's Capital Markets Financial Analysts. BMO Capital Markets is proud to deliver thoughtful analysis of upcoming equity research trends through both its Intune podcast as well as our commodity-specific Metal Matters, hosted by Colin Hamilton. If you enjoyed today's Intune podcast, please do subscribe and rate it. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers, or Visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. 
To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.